about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not know what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading is from Romans 6, um, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Well, good evening. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new online or in the building, it's great to have you. We've been exploring uh, living the truth of Christmas as we head towards Christmas. And we're almost there, aren't we? I've been saying this for a little while that uh, we're almost there. I'm not quite sure where there is because... Yeah, it's just it's a thing, right? Like New Year's Eve is not going to kind of be the end of all the drama. But there is a sense that as we hit towards the end of the year, we are looking forward to the fact that we've made it through 2020. It's like we all need some kind of little trophy or T-shirt or something. Uh, I know we are feeling weary because I'm one of you and I am weary. And as I think about what kind of little kind of pep talk, what kind of little boost I need to kind of finish well, cross that line, I couldn't help but think of something like this unleash the power within. And this is not kind of Tony Robbins' 1980s kind of, you know, highlights to it. This is 2020. 
discover a life without limits. We've had a few limits this year, but good on him. Where the impossible becomes possible. Now, you can hear my scepticism, right? Uh, I do like a little bit of, you know, red cordial kind of motivational energy. Uh, Not everyone is the kind of don't waste a crisis kind of guy. Uh, So we have a few things to say to Tony that are not as nice, perhaps. But when it comes to listening to people like this, we get the inspiring story of someone who overcame great odds. And and that's an inspiring story that they're good to hear. Uh, we, hear, we, we hear stuff about, you know, your fears and doubts are, are kind of the things holding you back. You need to overcome those and you need to rise up and be whatever. Friends, I don't think we need a pep talk. I don't think that's going to get us over the line. You wouldn't be surprised to hear me say that. What do we need? Week in, week out. We need the good news of Jesus preached into our weary hearts. And this is a, a an incredible passage, full of kind of glorious moments and full of challenging little spurs. But in its entirety, I feel like it's what we need as we head towards 2020. I want you to be encouraged. I want God to lift you up in your heart of hearts. That is my hope and prayer for us tonight. I've titled the talk, Be the Dearly Loved Children You Are. Be the Dearly Loved Children You Are. And I want you to know three things. Firstly, I want you to know that you are dearly loved children in Jesus. I want you to have confidence in future glory. And three, I want you to put into action your very identity of being a child of God. First up, dearly loved children, for all the kind of prickly bits of this passage, I want one thing to sing out really clearly. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, keep your Bibles open. Uh, I wonder if it's kind of even helpful to go back to bringing kind of, you know, your paper Bibles to church so that you can see the whole thing in front of you, the, the flow of the passage. Um, I'm just getting a bit over the scrolling, but you work it out. Whatever this, keep God's Word open. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love. See it in the extent that God has, has kind of poured Himself out for you. What did it cost God to love us and bring us back? Nothing short than His own Son, who willingly died for you. See how extravagant His love is. And see it in your life as you are not just kind of looking on at an inspiring kind of 2,000-year-old story, but as you are drawn into this, this, this grand love story. As you're actually bound up in Christ and as He works in you, see the lavish love that transforms you. See it in our community, gathered around Jesus, and the way that even in the the dramas of 2020, He is at work in our darkest moments. He has poured out His lavish love upon us. And friends, we're invited to see it. And one of the reasons why I'm laboring this is because as we hit the end of this year, maybe, maybe you're upset at God for all that's happened, all that's not gone well. Maybe you don't feel blessed. Maybe you're exhausted in your own efforts. Maybe you've entered a, a kind of a bleak plateau of faith in the meh of 2020. Whatever you're at, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. And I want you to hear God's voice in this. You are my beloved child. I 
I was listening to um, an audiobook a while ago by a Catholic priest uh, of, of all people uh, named Brennan Manning, and he wrote this book called Abba's Child, and in it he was exploring uh, his burnout and, and, and the nature of the gospel that he didn't feel in his heart of hearts. And as he rediscovered the gospel, and as he kind of reflected on his own life, he wrote this, many Christians have bought into the lie that we are worthy of God's love only when our lives are going well. And I wonder if 2020 has been that disruption for you, that last year, 2019, hashtag blessed, God's good, life's good, and 2020, your life's a mess, and you're kind of like, I don't feel worthy of, of God. That is a lie, and that's why I want this verse to sing, because straight up, that's what we are, we are children of God. I just want to labor this even one step further. Someone came into our church a little while ago, really messy, uh, and kind of even ended up here because they were just on the town and kind of, you know, had to kick around a little bit while they kind of got okay to drive again. And as he shared his messy life and as he looked around kind of this community and saw kind of people who had their life together and, and kind of didn't feel like they could be part of that, I was just kind of laying it all out. I, I asked him the question, I said, how do you think God looks upon you? stunted by the question, but honest in his answer, reflecting on his, his unworthiness, that God was disappointed in him, that God was even punishing him, and he felt the scorn of God. Honest, right? Honest answer. I shared with him the story behind this sculpture. This is Charlie McKenzie's sculpture of the prodigal son, and as I shared the story of the prodigal son, of kind of how a young son had told the father to get stuffed and wanted him dead so he'd get the inheritance and he spent it all, and then I, we kind of, we're workshopping this kind of this parable, and I'm like, how should the father look on this child, this wayward prodigal child? It's like, well, he should be punished, right? He should be kind of scorned, he should be ashamed. And I said, he was met with the open arms and the, lavished love, the, the love that was lavished upon him as he was welcomed back into the Father, as he was embraced. It, it's such a disruptive moment. He didn't quite know what to make of it then, but just recently got a text from him saying, that story really changed me. I'm now looking for a church. <laughs> Friends, whatever mess you find yourself in, there is one truth that kind of transcends and then kind of and, and penetrates through all of the drama. It is the foundation of the gospel. You are brought into the very family of God, not by your works, but because of God's love and mercy. Keep preaching this to yourself, friends. When you feel unworthy, say, I'm a child of God. God delights in you as a father delights in their children. And as we kind of look at this verse and kind of how it flows out in concentric circles, let's just kind of, in this second part, let's just kind of go back up a little bit. Notice that John's still using the children language, because friends, I want you to know the confidence that you can have because of this truth. Verse 28, and now, dear children, continue in Him, that is Christ, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. And when Jesus returns, that should be a fearful moment. When we come to, into the presence of the one who is pure, who is righteous, who is holy, we've talked about this before, and yet John reminds us that we ought not to be ashamed, that we ought to have confidence. Why? Because you are brought into the family of God in Christ. 
not on your own efforts. And as we continue down into chapter 3, we pick up the language again, verse 2, dear friends, dear children, uh, sorry, now, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. That is, there's a version of yourself that has not been revealed yet, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When we see Christ face to face, like be in His presence, we will be so glorified with Him that it will blow us away. And this is so important, friends, because I think for most of us, we've been on this little self-improvement project for a long time, sort of finding our worth and kind of just being a little bit better, chasing down progress, whatever that means. And 20, that might have been okay in 2019 to an extent, but 2020 has disrupted all of that. But I want to say that that's not the gospel way. Friends, we can put on hold the project to better ourselves. We can put on hold our angst and even our labors for a moment and just breathe in. What you will be has not yet been made known to others, to yourself, but that future glorified self is guaranteed. Is guaranteed. Because God has invested Himself in that end. And what would it look like if every labor, every thought, every speed bump we hit, every storm we went into, if we went into every one of those with this driving reality in our minds? Not just kind of like, oh man, there goes my plans again. I, had, I, I kind of had all this in mind. Oh, it's so frustrating. But instead, we're kind of like, God's in this. My future glorified self is guaranteed. I'm a child of God. I don't know what's happening just here, but I know you're in this. That is such a different picture. It's so different to Tony Robbins. It's so much better than the hope this world offers. Friends, this is the good news of Jesus. We need to preach into our hearts day in, day out. And all of the confidence we have for this is not in ourselves, verse 3, all who have this, sorry, all who have this hope in Him. It's in Jesus. We know this, right? Let's kind of keep filling our hearts with this truth. But it's the second half of verse 3, which kind of flows into some of the trickier parts of the passage. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. It sounds okay, I suppose, but it gets harder from there. As we transition into this next part, I was reading uh, a book by Scott Erickson, an American guy, um, who wrote this really kind of creative, arty kind of Advent book. And it's just been something a bit different. It's just been kind of just taking me outside myself a little bit. Uh, but, and his goal is actually that I'll be brought into the story of Advent itself. And he, he, he quotes this. I mean, this is a pastor talking about this. He's very honest. He says, it would be awesome to have this kind of story in your life talking about Advent. But if I'm honest, he says, I'm actually afraid of Revelation. Let's see where we're going here. All great stories come at a cost, he writes. And the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. In any divine annunciation, you receive revelation as a gift, yet at the same time you receive notice that all that you had planned is ending. It's over. Everything will change. Most of all, you. See, the thing is, friends, we're not hearing about a story that's over there. We're being invited into a story that has a claim upon us. It's a story so much grander than yours that your little story is actually coming to an end and you're, begin, you're, you're starting a new story. 
You're continuing a, a grander story in Jesus. And that's where John's going here in this next part. He wants us to know how much this affects us and how much we're called into it. And I want you to keep in mind that we are a child of God as we head into these harder parts. Because if we could summarize from verse sort of 4 down to the end of the passage, verse 10, it'd be something like this, purify yourself, verse 3. Because no one who keeps on sinning has known God, verse 6. And at that point, pep talk's gone, we're all feeling discouraged, and we're like, whoa. Let's try and make sense of this. Hold with me here, because I think there's something really profound for us here. The first thing I want you to notice is when John's talking in these kind of just really straight-up terms, I want us to also notice the way he's often speaking in the duality of kind of, uh, of, the God, of God and the devil, of the world uh, and uh, in its darkness and, and the God of light, children of the devil, children of God. He's speaking in these very kind of um, ah, just, just straight-up language. The troubles of the time, we like nuance, we like kind of the gray, and he's just kind of like... Phew. That's the first thing I want us to notice. And when he's saying that we are now children of God... That is no small thing, because we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness, that world that has rejected the God who has revealed Himself in Jesus, and brought into and adopted into the family of God, the kingdom of the Son. That is an entirely different category, a movement of domain from kind of worshipping yourself and kind of even, even Satan and kind of the rejection of God to bringing into a kingdom where you worship Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. It's a total kind of move across into a different domain, a different family. And when he's talking about not sinning in this family of God, in this domain, We've got to remember at least that in chapter 1, John reminded us that if we do sin, we are to confess that and we have an advocate with the Father. So what's John talking about here? He's saying, do not sin ever, not anymore if you know God, and yet if you do, there's an advocate. How are we to make sense of this? I wonder if one way that we could understand kind of John's commands, imperatives, and his concept of people who know God no longer sin, might be understood in a family context. Uh, let me share an example from my own home. Uh, I've got three boys, uh, nine, seven, and four, and over the last 12 months particularly, I found myself saying things like this, boys, in our family, we don't swear. Now, why am I saying that? Uh, not just because that's a good thing, but because I'm noticing some of the language changing in my kids. Why is that? They're kind of hanging out with their peers um, and, and swearing is just part of their culture and language and it's just flowing into our family. Now, I've got choices here. One, I could be like, you said that again, I'm going to put soap in your mouth. <laughs> I mean, some of us grew up like that, I did, uh, um, and it didn't work. Uh, I could say something a bit more nicer, I kind of could say, um, boys, I'd really prefer it if you didn't use that language. Instead, I've gone with in this family, we do not swear. But I just swore, Dad. <laughs> no, no, in this family, we don't swear. I'm reminding them of the identity that we have as a family. I'm reminding them that we are living out a different value set to those around them. I'm calling them to live out what it means to be in my family as we follow Jesus, as we take care of the words we say, 
because out of the heart, uh, the overflow of the heart, uh, uh, sorry, out of the overflow of the mouth comes from the heart, and, and, and things like um, we do not tear people down, but kind of lift, look to encourage people with our words, all this kind of stuff, all of that is built into this identity language that in my family, we don't talk like that. And that's part of kind of, uh, part of their, uh, their, their maturing, uh, understanding ethics, but most of all, who we serve. And I actually think John, in his pastoral heart, is saying here, in this family, we don't sin. But we do sin. No, no, we don't. We're being called out to live our truest self. And the thing about forgiveness and grace is, is John's not saying, okay, so there is grace and forgiveness, um, so I guess maybe just, don't, don't worry, don't stress about it, don't worry about it. No, he's saying, there is forgiveness, now live righteously. Every time you sin, go back to the advocate, talk about it, get forgiveness, repent, and then go on to live out your truest self. Claim the victory of Christ because He came to destroy the devil's work. And every time we sin, we're giving credence to our old self. Friends, we've been called into a new family with a new Lord. His name is Jesus and we're called to follow Him. Be who you are, a child of God. Friends, I want us to hear this tonight because we're part of something bigger and more glorious than our tired selves are feeling in this little moment. I want us to be encouraged. Because maybe in your tiredness, you've begun to think poorly of yourself. Now, I know kind of I'm a bit of an energizer bunny. My self-esteem is often related to my energy. So when I'm feeling kind of pumped, I'm feeling good. That's not the gospel, friends. Tony Robbins would love that, but Jesus has something different to say. We need to hear that we are worthy because, because of God's mercy. He's given us worth. He's bought us at a price. You are a child of God. But I also just want to speak briefly and pastorally as we finish this year and as I just noticed that it would be, it would be easy to make ourselves feel better from our weariness in all kinds of other ways. Maybe self-medicating, maybe just kind of, you know, scrolling through Facebook mindlessly, just filling our brains with junk. But maybe it could be kind of excessive alcohol, drugs, uh, porn, there's a whole range of things that will look kind of good and, and might give us a little kick and it'll be easy to go there in our wearied state. Because in that weary state, we often will feel lowly. We will often kind of feel that hope is, is distant and, and not impactful upon us and we'll look for shortcuts. Friends, we're being reminded tonight that we are called to live out not just a better version of ourselves in ourselves. We are called to live out our identity as a child of God. And it's hard to choose the, the long road, to choose Jesus over all the shiny things that offer a, a kind of a, a momentary kind of lift. It is hard and we have to keep trusting. But friends, I want you to have confidence that your future glorified self is secure in Jesus. I want you to find your worth in Jesus. And I want you to keep putting to death your old self. That you might give Christ the victory in every part of your life. As we finish, I want to go back to chapter 1 of John's Gospel. When he writes this, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become 
children of God. Let's receive Him. Let's welcome Jesus' Lordship. Let's welcome His forgiveness. Let's welcome the worth He bestows upon us. Let us welcome the Spirit and the power that God invests in us. Let us receive all of that. And let us believe. Let us trust Him. Let us listen and obey. Friends, we have a glorious God. And He's invested Himself in you because He delights in you. You are a child of His. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.